0: Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every day, decisions are made across Maine that impact our environment, and Mainers play a crucial role as we speak up for climate action, the clear air, clear water, and open spaces that we all love. Come sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories that you need to know, what lies ahead, and hear what you can do about it. Thanks for listening as we share our view... The front lines
1: it's officially summer and while you might think things slow down a bit here at nrcm because the legislature isn't in session i can tell you firsthand and many of our advocates can that it, you'd be wrong uh though our work in the state house is done for the year our role as watchdog for maine's environment never really lets up and we've got a lot to pay attention to these days as we head into the summer Uh, I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, and in this episode of Frontline Voices, we're going to speak again with our Advocacy Director, Pete Dittesheim, about some of the key issues that NRCM will be focused on this summer. Uh, Now, as Pete and I started brainstorming topics for this discussion in this episode, we quickly identified a unifying theme that of out-of-state corporations trying to take advantage of Maine people on our environment to turn a quick profit. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. In fact, if not for the work of NRCM and our partners and many of you over the past 60 years, out-of-state corporations would have built oil refineries in Eastport and Sanford, a coal-fired power plant on the doorstep of Acadia, a massive sprawling mess of second homes and development throughout the Moosehead Lake region. But today, we'll be talking about companies located in places like Ontario, Toronto, and Norway, Um, NRCM backed by the power of people like you. We're never going to be afraid to stand firm in defending our environment from companies who see Maine as a place to make money, not a place to protect for future generations. So Pete, thanks for joining us. I was glad to be with you. Um, I first wanted to start off, though, with a little good news that I'm going to start to try to sprinkle in. Uh, these stories of hope and action, because I know for many of us, climate change and the extreme weather hitting places like the Southwest, uh, those floods in Yellowstone National Park can feel really debilitating. But yesterday, uh, last Friday, not yesterday, last Friday, hundreds of Mainers showed up in Augusta for what was the first Maine Communities Leading on Climate Conference. Now, Pete, can you share with us why that was such a positive event?
2: Yeah, it really was a really positive event, it was here in Augusta, several hundred people from around the state, literally all over the state, uh, came here to the Civic Center, a number of NRCM staff attended, as did three of our summer interns. It was a really inspiring day, focused on great work that's happening at the community level across Maine to address climate change. And the program featured all sorts of panels focusing on energy efficiency, transportation, resiliency, lots of other topics presenters from across the state, as I mentioned, from, I saw towns, Kittery, Dover-Foxcroft, Eastport, York, Limestone, Rockland, Machias, Bar Harbor, Penobscot Nation, representatives from literally all over the state sharing their success stories of what they're doing at the local level, what's working. And that was just really great. And it's useful for folks who want to bring those ideas to their own towns, to see what's being done elsewhere, to learn from that, to get make contacts. And of course, Governor Mills was there, as was Congresswoman Shelley Pingree. And there were video remarks from Senators Angus King and Susan Collins and Congressman Golden. And the White House Climate Advisor, Gina McCarthy, delivered the keynote address there. So it was just a day full of people at the Augusta Civic Center sharing good ideas of what they're doing. And it was a lot of positive energy. So good news.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I was just people also tuned in online, as you said, uh, and I was just reading a letter to the editor that someone wrote to the Ellsworth American uh, who attended this conference. Uh, she, She zoomed in and she said, and this sort of sums up what you were just saying in her letter, she said, Maine has such a creative, positive, common sense group of leaders from all parts of Maine, rural and urban that are getting things done. And I think that's so inspiring. It's so inspiring to hear those stories of people who aren't waiting to take action to help Maine achieve our ambitious climate goals. And I think it really speaks to that hard work, a hard work ethic and that willingness to roll up our sleeves and get things done that Mainers have. So anyways, super exciting, great yep. stories coming out of that. And of course, here at NRCM, we'll try to keep sharing those stories with you. Um, OK, Pete, let's shift gears. Uh, To uh, what we were talking about earlier, what we're tracking this summer here at NRCM, and I wanted to start with the Canadian mining company that's still trying to press forward with the mining operation uh, in in the patent area, even after a critical state agency rebuked them for a deeply flawed permit application. Uh, now, I understand based on the latest intel that we've received from residents in the patent area, this company uh, called Wolfton Resources literally uh, it, it tried to ply people with food, in this case lobster rolls, as part of their effort to build some local support or manufacture local support for their proposal.
2: Great. Right. Yeah. Wolfton, what a perfect name. Wolfton Resources. <laughs> The wolves have come back out of their den, Uh, so they're, uh, so this is a company that's based in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and they've been trying to develop a mine for copper, zinc, silver, other metals on land that they own near Baxter State Park, not too far from Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument. Uh, From my perspective, this is a fly-by-night corporation that hasn't successfully developed a mine anywhere so we're naturally worried about what they're trying to do here in Maine. Uh, so for the f- past couple of years, as you mentioned, they've been trying to get a rezoning app- uh, permit for 500 acres of land. And that was in front of the Land Use Planning Commission. Um, but last fall, the LUPC staff recommended that Wolfton's application be rejected because it was littered with inconsistencies and errors and failures to provide information. So the LUPC commission was on the verge of rejecting their application, but the company's attorneys withdrew the application at the last minute. So what is Wolfton up to now? Last week, uh, they held a meeting in the town of Patton at the town garage, and they provided lobster rolls and a catered buffet (laughs) to select board members and residents from Patton and Mount Chase in the local town of Hersey, which is a very small town. And they've hired a Bangor attorney, and they appear to have a plan of whining and dining and dangling money in front of local towns to try to get them to accept a processing plant, uh, which would be about 150-acre permanent waste site for tailings, and they're trying to get a local town to pass an ordinance, one of these local towns that would provide, and they would provide annual payments to that host town and. In some yet to be undetermined, you know, yet to be determined amount, and if they succeed in doing this, then they would have shifted one of the messiest parts of the mining operation out of land use planning commission jurisdiction into an organized town, and their rezoning application would no longer have that part of their operation in uh, in uh, in it. So it might expedite their process to get uh, the land rezoned. This is all a, a, a game that they're playing because what they really wanna do is they want to get the land rezoned and then they would try to offload the property to, to another company and pocket as much money as they could in the process. So um, we're really worried about this uh, shell game here. Um, one of the local towns seems set to hold seven meetings this summer with Wolfton. Wolfton scripting them the whole, whole way through the process, leading up to a possible vote on a mining ordinance with some amount of money that would be provided to that community. And so we're watching this really closely. And this needs to get a, a spotlight on it because it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sketchy. Uh, absolutely sketchy. And I'll note
1: that people might have seen Wolfton has also been up to no good down east. Uh, where they wanted to locate another mining operations uh, but residents there in Pembroke voted overwhelmingly it was like overwhelmingly 120, yeah 129 against to 48 yeah, against, that was great news yeah against mining and the Fredza of Cook Bay there were really involved in that so um uh, they they they've got their sort of tentacles everywhere and 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 it really speaks to the need to sort of keep keep watching them as you said
2: Yeah, this is a company that has no long-term interest in the state. All they want to do is try to rezone some land, sell it for profit, and get out of here. And then we'd have to deal with the the mess that any mining operation would would create. Yikes. Well, another bad, talking
1: about bad actors, we've got another bad actor to talk about. That's Brookfield, uh, the large Toronto-based company that operates many hydro dams in Maine, here in Maine, but also across the world. Um, Now, as our listeners have heard in previous episodes, NRCM is working with our partners, conservation partners, to restore the health of the lower Kennebec um, to help bring back Atlantic salmon from the brink of extinction by enabling them to reach critical habitat in the Sandy River. Uh, But rather than work with the state of Maine to do what's right for the Kennebec, to do what's right for Maine people, Brookfield has resorted to misinformation and scare tactics. Pete, can you tell us what's the latest uh, going on here?
2: Yeah, so again, there's these four dams between Waterville and Skowhegan that are violating the Endangered Species Act, pose a serious threat to uh, endangered Atlantic salmon. And these dams produce a tiny amount of power and has a really big impact on on the watershed. So as you say, rather than being constructive, they have launched a media campaign that's designed to scare the bejesus out of Maine people. I gotta say, you know, using like end of the world kind of language about outside special interests, wanting to shut down businesses and threaten jobs and destroy Maine's economy. I mean, really over the top language. <clears throat> so this ad by Brookfield, which is a sixty billion dollar multinational corporation based in Toronto. So they're ominously describing Maine people, Maine state agencies, and organizations that fight for Maine's environment as these scary outside special interests. Mm-hmm. So get that, like <laughs> they are based in Toronto, trying scaring to ship the, the Maine narrative. public to be afraid of Maine organizations, agencies, and Maine people. So, like. So Governor Mills and all of the groups involved in this issue, including NRCM, have made it absolutely clear, and Brookfield knows this, that we only support outcomes that protect the jobs at the Sappy Mill, uh, which is near the Shawmut Dam, and mm-hmm. also help Atlantic salmon reach their critical spawning habitat in the Sandy River. Brookfield is just completely using scare tactics and misinformation, again, demonstrating that they're a bad actor in the, in the state of Maine.
1: Yeah, really disappointing to see that just, you know, when you think they'd gone low, they just keep going lower. Yeah. Um. Well, let's shift to yet another bad actor, this time fossil fuels, uh, fossil fuel industry and the oil heating industry. Many of our listeners may have read a recent Port- uh, Portland Press-Herald article that described how oil companies are trying to dissuade Mainers from shifting away from oil heat. Um. Uh, it Now, it was great to see the paper's editorial board in a strong editorial calling out these oil companies saying, quote unquote, what's best for the people who sell fossil fuel products is not in the best interest of the environment or consumers. Pete, what's your take here on this story?
2: Uh, the oil companies. So the article <laughs> you're referring to was uh, the title of that article in the Press Herald was New England Fuel Dealers Plot their future in a rapidly electrifying world. So my emphasis here is on the word plot. Yeah. Uh, so seriously. the article, <laughs> the article described how a New Jersey-based strategic marketing firm called Get This Warm Thoughts Communications <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's been working with the oil industry across New England is trying to get home and what they're what they're trying to do is to get homeowners to not shift away from oil burning furnaces. So here in Maine, We have like the biggest dependence on oil for heat six out of 10 homes. That's more than anywhere else in the country. So the warm thoughts that the oil industry (laughs) wants people to have is to continue paying for oil. Um, So they've done a bunch of polling and message development that was revealed in that article. And this, uh, this guy from Warm Thoughts Communication shared that at a trade show for oil dealers at the Samoset Resort between golf games, I guess. The oil dealers are, you know, potentially rightfully alarmed by the rapid shift to high efficiency heat pumps in Maine. More than 40,000 have been installed in the past two years. And this is a good thing because heat pumps are among the least expensive sources per unit of heat uh, for a homeowner and they are a central part of Maine's climate action plan. So the oil industry now has a marketing and messaging plan to try to slow this process down. And this is happening across the country. The national Mm -hmm. energy and fuels Institute represents about 1100 oil heat and motor vehicle fuel providers, according to the Portland Press Herald article. And they're all trying to curb the transition to electrification of heating and transportation. And so, as part of that effort, they've created even something called the Greener Fuels Heating Pack, a political action committee that's going to try to get uh, elected officials who will work with them to try to block the transition to a clean energy future. Again, misinformation, trying to confuse consumers. So, we are. Absolutely, going to keep to uh, focusing on the imperative and the benefit to Maine people to switch to a, electrification of uh, for their vehicles and for home heating.
1: Yeah, that absolutely correct. And you know, we just applauded uh, the new triennial plan that was released for efficiency, Maine. Those investments are important. I know you and our climate advocates are looking at this new grid planning. Um, Law that's really going to help deliver that clean energy future and the electrification we need at the lower cost possible. So that's that's how we're going to. Those are just some good examples of how we're seeking to confront this greenwashing from the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. Um, let's just wrap up real quick uh, uh, by highlighting a few more cases because there are so many. Pete, uh, corporations, many. yeah, right of corporations behaving badly that uh, you think we need to be both NRCM and our listeners need to be watching out for?
2: Okay, let me just touch quickly on uh, Casella. It's a billion dollar plus uh, corporation that's actually based over in Vermont. And they are one of the major waste haulers in the state of Maine. And They've actually been taking action that is contrary to the state's efforts to try to get on top of the of the uh, serious problem of PFAS contamination of our um, of our farmlands and and drinking water supplies. And this is happening at a time when the EPA just recently said that PFAS is posing a risk at even lower levels than we previously thought. And the We've learned that the Maine Attorney General is getting ready to sue the PFAS manufacturers for the harm that they have caused to Maine farmers in a a lawsuit that'll be similar to the sort of lawsuits that AGs filed against the tobacco companies. And the Maine legislature has taken some really important actions to help mitigate the risks, to help farmers, um, including, you know, they've passed a bill this year to stop spreading the composted sludge uh, from wastewater treatment plants that's contaminated with PFAS. That's why our farms are contaminated because the DEP authorized for years the spreading of PFAS contaminated sludge on farmland. So Casella, so they're now um, basically sending threatening letters to towns uh, saying that they're going to increase the costs for managing their waste uh, they're not going to stop processing PFAS contaminated sludge at one of their facilities here in Maine at Hawks Ridge. They're going to keep processing that composted sludge, and they want Maine towns to pay more <clears throat> to help pay for a, a marketing campaign and infrastructure development initiative so that they can then transport this contaminated sludge to other states with weaker environmental laws like Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and across the border to Canada so that they can spread it and contaminate those farmlands. <laughs> so, and they're starting to rattle the cage Absurd. that they're gonna work to overturn Maine's law next year. So um, Casella, you know, another bad they, actor.
1: They are another bad actor and they fought, they fought us hard till the very end on the out-of-state waste bill. You know, I'll yeah. note that the local company here in Lewiston came to the table and worked on a solution. So there's a very, there's a very different approach right there. Right.
2: Let me also um, just quickly touch on American Aquafarms because I know yeah. that many of our listeners have been paying attention to that. So this is a company that's. That it's, it's owned by a, what's called Blue Future. It's a Norway based group of aquaculture investors, and they've proposed this massive industrial scale salmon farm that we've talked about in a previous, at least one previous podcast. It would be in the middle of Frenchman Bay. It would, in theory, raise up to 66 million pounds of Atlantic salmon annually. Uh, the, the state natural resource agencies that were reviewing their permit terminated the company's applications for lease. Uh, permit and for wastewater discharge license in April. And literally no one supports this project other than the Norwegian investors who would never be able to get this project permitted in Norwegian waters. It's just too big. So they've filed an appeal of the state's decision and the company seems intent on polluting Frenchman Bay with 4 billion gallons per day of wastewater that would come from this operation. So they filed suit, they're gonna to try to overturn the state agency's actions, but this is a company that's just flagrantly ignoring the sentiment of Maine people. The communities that surround Frenchman Bay, the lobstermen, the fishermen who operate in Frenchman Bay, Acadia National Park, groups like NRCM, none of us want this project to move forward, but they are just pushing ahead, it seems. so we will continue to pay close attention to, to everything associated with American Aqua Firms' efforts to revive their permit applications.
1: Yeah. And you can be sure, you know, as we've said multiple times, we're going to be tracking the actions of all these corporations and any others that are, are looking to harm Maine's environment. So the best way to keep up to date with how you can help, uh, is just by signing up for our emails if you're not already signed up. Pete, I wanted to um, end this episode uh, by asking you about a case that's before the U.S. Supreme Court uh, that we expect a decision on any day. In fact, you know when our when you listen to this podcast, that decision may have happened. But I did want to get your opinion because this is really centered around the government's right to regulate air pollution. Uh, now, there's been a ton of coverage. Um, in, in the newspapers, TV, about what's at stake here uh, if the Supreme Court justices rule the wrong way on this, on, on this case.
2: Right, this is, this is huge. Uh, and there's a, a, a number of different scenarios. People are trying to figure out what the, the Supreme Court might do. It's a very conservative court. And so we're, we're deeply concerned about this. It's called the West Virginia versus EPA case. And it deals with the Clean Air Act and the ability of the EPA to combat climate change specifically through their authority to regulate emissions from existing power plants. The suit targets the Obama administration's Clean Power Plan that would have helped meet the Paris Agreement uh, carbon dioxide emission reductions. So that Clean Power Plan was challenged by several states and coal companies. Uh, The coal companies are, are behind a lot of this. The coal companies are trying to block the EPA from doing its job of combating climate change uh, through regulations of power plants. Obviously, coal companies don't want to do anything other than continue to burn coal, which is one of the worst power sources on the planet. And so they're claiming that EPA is overstepping their authority and that only Congress should be uh, involved in taking action that regulates power plants. But these same companies and same attorney generals are also working to block the Congress from ever taking action on climate change. So they're just trying to block it in all venues. Um, These are the same companies and state attorney generals that are really working against our interests, the interests of of the planet on climate legislation um, and climate action everywhere. So the court's decision in this also has broader implications Mm -hmm. uh, for um the scope of federal administrative power uh the ability of agencies to to um to administer um their uh, authorities to to for administrative action um if the congress hasn't been explicit about every single detail and so It's a big case. There will be some big articles about it, whichever way it goes. We're hoping that it's a very very narrow ruling. In the worst case, it could be a broad ruling that puts at risk all manner of regulatory authority across all topics, all sorts of topics um, of the executive branch.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, to me, one of the most disturbing things, right? That could have huge implications for our nation's ability to combat climate. But then as you said, fundamentally gets down to the the ability of public servants, of scientists and federal government to implement. To do their envirom- job. Yeah, to do their job, to implement inform- yeah. it, to implement environmental laws that we know from the past, like several decades work. Right? right. And they work because we've had a strong and effective government agencies that implement them and hold polluters accountable. But, you yeah. know, the fossil Congress fuel is not industry. Passing,
2: Congress really is not passing new environmental laws. Yeah, and these polluting industries don't want the agencies to administer existing environmental laws. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you you can be sure, like you know, as as I said, we're 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 tracking this. We'll we'll um, likely have something to say after it happens. So you can check our website, uh, you know, news releases or blog for that. Um, uh, but thanks, thanks again, Pete, for joining us today and for absolutely updating our listeners on everything we'll be tracking
2: this summer. Um, oh, we'll be tracking much more than what I talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just, yeah just, It does not slow down at all here. <laughs> just a taste
1: of what we'll be tracking this yeah. summer. There you go. Um, and if you've gotten this far, you're probably one of our most loyal listeners. And I'd just like to ask one small favor, which is to leave us a review, especially if you're listening um, on Apple Podcasts. Good reviews. Reviews really help new listeners find us and attract attention to the Frontline Voices podcast. So um, take take a minute to do that if you haven't already. And as always, thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Main Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoy this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and several other podcast listening apps. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of the Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of the Maine. To learn more about our work, visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.